On a quest for community, on a quest for family, that was a way that we bonded. Crystal meth. This is In The Key of Q, featuring musicians from around the world who inspire my queer identity. Everybody is welcome to the conversation, whatever beautiful identity pleases you. Music helps us feel connected and know that we are not alone. This program is made possible thanks to the financial support of listeners like you over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. And remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dan Hall. Tune in and be heard. This week's guest is a multi-award winner, having gathered himself awards from Critic Circle, Out Music, and most excitingly, the Tonys. Born in Oliver Springs, Tennessee, his music features a fusion of styles influenced by gospel, country, bluegrass, and even rockabilly. My guest has said of his career, I've always believed that our mess is our ministry. I may be more candid than the next guy about my obstacles and struggles, I am not interested in painting a perfect picture for the world to see, not when people all around me need to know how to turn their pain into personal power. The driving force behind all that I do is narrow and defined. I want to heal. Levi Christ, welcome to In the Key of Q. Dan, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me to be on your show. Maybe too soon to say, but it ain't like it don't show My eyes will tell you everything you already know I want to state the obvious, but you and I say, hey, let's take it slow Let's take it slow And yet it doesn't need to be heard How I love how we're hanging on To think that you're in control When destiny decides you got to put your sh- aside And let it roll Just let it roll And yet it doesn't need to be heard How I love how we're hanging on Three words Sweet thing You're dancing on Growing up in the church We learn to experience music through conviction. And as a kid who took that really seriously, even when I'm doing songs about, uh, you know, my song like Love in Another Light, where I'm talking about in back rooms with boys that don't have a name and finding what real love means and moving out of a world of anonymous sex to something that's meaningful. Um, it's still the truth that I'm seeking, you know? I mean, and I think that's the com- that's just how I was, that's in my DNA, you know, to, to sing with conviction, to write with conviction, to find something that really resonates on the deepest spiritual level uh, is just, just, just what I cut my teeth on. So, so it's like, for me, music is a way of expressing the truth. And so was church a major musical influence on you in your early formative years? Huge, 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 huge. Matter of fact, uh, it was the first place I ever sang. So my granddaddy, Leroy Copeland, uh, and my grandmother, Martha Lee, had a lovely friend uh, whose name was Alice. 
gorgeous, beautiful African-American woman with this silver hair. And I remember Alice hearing me one time and saying, Leroy, you need to get that boy singing in church. And they're like, come over here, Levi. Little Levi's come over here, you know, eight years old. Uh, and uh, they said, oh, uh, why, don't you, why don't you bring him over to Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church? Um, I think the only black church in, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where I was around. And they said, just uh, get him to sing. And I was like, well, Miss Alice, I'd love to. And she says, well, if you sing, she come over to me that Sunday. She brought, I came to her church to sing finally. And that Sunday she comes to me and says, now, if you sing, if you sing for the Lord, I'm going to give you this dollar. And I'm like, Miss Alice, if you give me that other dollar, I'll sing for baby Jesus too. I don't care. So, so, yeah. So, so, so I got up and it's this toe headed kid uh, in at home in, in our local black church, just singing acapella for the first time. What is gospel singing? How is gospel singing different from any prayer singing or even any just standing around singing in the shower what is it about the technique and the sound that is particularly unique the difference between i guess the kind of churches i grew up in and the and the the uh the religious music of other churches is like there's just a there's there's just this an infusion of emotion conviction uh abandon excitement uh there's nothing very proper about it. And I have a hard time being proper anyway, especially in churches. I knew that I had um, feelings for the, the preacher's son at a young age. And, and uh, <clears throat> when the pastor, I think that he was having a conversation one Sunday because there was, a, a, it was 80s when, when there was probably in the news, a lot of protests because of everything that was going on with the uh, arrival of HIV. But he, for some reason, he had to make it a topic from the pulpit that day. And I remember he used the word abomination. And as a very sincere boy, I came home and I looked up the word abomination in the dictionary and I saw the words abhorrent, detestable. And I thought to myself, at a very young age, I made an agreement with myself that I was detestable in the eyes of God. And so that devastated me. And uh, shortly after that, I actually even made a pact a contract, a piece of paper that on September 12th, 1988, that I would spend three hours a day in prayer and in scripture until God removed this thing inside of me. checked myself into conversion therapy in eighth grade behind my parents' back. And how old is eighth grade for those of us outside America? Well, like 13. Okay. So a young teenager yeah. and you check yourself yeah. into, into conversion, conversion therapy. therapy. Yeah. And they took you, interestingly, they, they took you? 
Oh, yeah. And I began to see this pastor every week, this curriculum called Exodus International, which a lot of people who may be aware of this world uh, knows Exodus. They're like the leading, they they're, they were the, like the leading conversion therapy people. Uh, yeah, and kept trying to get it right. A lot of the approach is saying that sexuality is environmentally developed and that, that the reason that we eroticize our relationship with guys is because there had been a lack of healthy relationships between same sexes. So they encourage that. Um, whether it be, and how stereotypical the people who say that sexual sexuality is a choice, right? That, you know, deal with your father issues, deal with, deal with, you know, those, you know, those, those, those relationships in your life that may be representative of, this, of, of like damaged same sex influences or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, it's always reminded that, that it's, it's, um, that it is, uh, the very thing that will sweep me to hell if I don't overcome and so like there's no safety net ever how could you ever feel like like safe when every breath of your your day one simple natural sexual thought um or i don't want to sexualize our journey actually i want to correct myself even just wanting the love of a boy to go out and sit by the lake with a boy, to go fishing with a boy, to 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 sit and uh, just look at them and have that kind of union. It was my sixth year of conversion therapy, and I was in my dorm room at college. And uh, so you're what at this note, point? You're like twenty, twenty one now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I also, by the way, had just signed a huge gospel record deal, uh, and everyone knew that it was going on. I was very public in the Christian organizations on campus. I was quite a vocal person in that world. And I was in my dorm room, sixth year of conversion therapy, beginning to think that it's actually not an issue. And I sat there with the Strong's Concordance and all the original Greek and Hebrew meanings of all of these verses directly or indirectly related to the issue of homosexuality. And my roommate comes to me and he says, hey, Levi, what are you studying there? And I thought for a minute, maybe I can share with him because he's a He's a man of God and he's compassionate and it'll be safe. So I told him, I said, you know what? I've been dealing with this and all of a sudden I don't think that it's actually wrong. Well, he went to the Baptist student union of the college to request prayer for me by his peers. And in the South, we usually say requesting prayer is how you basically share gossip. <laughs> you, you, you want to solicit the prayers of other people, but what you're really doing is saying, listen to this dish I know, <laughs> you know? So um, the Baptist Student Union went to the board of directors of the college. I'm now outed to the college. Everybody on campus suddenly knows and are waiting to see if I'm going to be kicked out. An intern at the record label went to the college, told the record label, and then immediately I was escorted out of the record label and lost my record deal, huge gospel record deal. Uh, they ultimately kicked me out of all of my religious-based classes and let me finish my music credits at the end of the semester. But because that was so devastating to be outed and it be a public conversation brought on by the board of directors, I didn't go back. 
being in conversion therapy for six years and being eventually around support groups of guys who were doing it, it was very interesting because I've ultimately realized nobody's getting healed. This is not something to heal. They're all just trying to suppress something that continues to endure. And I no longer believe that this is something that you heal and move on. If it was wrong, you would heal it, find the solution and move on. And that's not the case. And I began to see it in those who around me as a young boy watching these older men come in with their stories about how they fell from grace, <laughs> how they, you know, need forgiveness. When I first saw the play Southern Baptist Sissies, which I saw like the first month of moving to Los Angeles, I don't know if you know anything about the play, but it's about four guys in religion versus sexuality, how they come to terms with who they are. They all deal with it in a different way. When I saw that, I was in a fetal position by intermission, just like, tr like physically trembling um, and crying because I had no idea I had no idea there were other people like me. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, man. I think it's important for us to know that we're not alone. Yeah. And I think it's important for the younger generation to know what we went through. I think they need to educate themselves on even what our Gen Xers have done to pave the way so that they can spend their time worrying about microaggressions while we had to be denied our education and our employment for all of, you know, a decade. And macroaggressions. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I mean, I, I have a story of that walking through Hamilton Park, New Jersey with a boy and being jumped and egged and chased and then a, a brick thrown to the back of my head, cracking my head open. I hit the ground. And before I know it, I'm being kicked in the ribs. You know, to know what a gay bashing is like is uh, 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 that's hard to get over. So, Levi, we left you having just finished a traumatic experience, leaving the church and losing your record deal. Uh, what is what's happening with you? I left college, obviously, you know, you know now why I was not continuing on. Uh, and so I got a little show at a local theme park and I would show up and, you know, have my show and my dresser was somebody I fell in love with. And we became, he became my first boyfriend and my parents would drive three hours every weekend from Knoxville to Nashville to see the show. And my mom observed, you know, she has seen a kid who's been in his bedroom faithfully three hours a day doing all of this, you know, Jesus stuff and being on the road at church, having altar calls and winning people to the Lord and that whole thing. And uh, she began to observe what was going on. And when things got bad and he started to hit me, um, there was one day I came to work and I had this huge crack, like welt on my face where he had taken a full beer can and thrown it 
at me and hit me right here. Um, and my mom came to the show that weekend, that day. And she, I guess she put it together. She put it all together because, you know, she was prying into like, why are you going to this other church for, for, for therapy? What is that about? I never told her. So she's been trying to put the pieces together now, you know, for backstory for a while. So she finally got it. I guess she came up to me that day and she says, I know what you've been struggling with. I know who your roommate is. I know he did that. And I'm going to be at your place tomorrow morning with a U-Haul. I'm going to get your things and I'm dropping you off at Sandy's, your girlfriend. And we're going to talk about this afterwards. And my mom showed up in the fucking U-Haul the next morning, walked in, grabbed all of my furniture and shit and everything that I had, loaded up that U-Haul, took me to Sandy's, dropped me off and said, look, and this is what you get for living the devil's lifestyle. You're going to get AIDS and die. And that's how my mom found out that I was gay. There's a rage way down inside me A fire that's branded my soul And it leaves me as one, one of the many With a hate so hard to control I think there's a part of me who hits the gym, pushes into confidence, presents myself in powerful ways. Because maybe I'm telling myself I'll never be that guy again. I'll never be the guy who takes that. Because the scars were so deep. You've spoken openly about addiction issues. Do you feel that they dovetailed into this abuse that you suffered, that, that addiction was part of the residue of the scars that you faced? It was something that presented itself when I first found the gay community. And so on a quest for community, on a quest for family, that was a way that we bonded in a lot of our community, especially in the 90s and the 2000s, like late 90s, early 2000s. And what's the addiction uh, you're talking yeah. about? Crystal meth. But I don't think that this conversation about addiction and the gay community is limited to that, although there was quite the epidemic of it at the time that I'm talking and I was a part of it. So the thing is, it was a part of our language. It was a part of a language for a lot of little subgroups of the gay community. Um, and so, yeah, it became a byproduct of, of trying to f find a place to belong. 
But because there was already such a depth of experience in worthlessness from Pastor Walls telling me I'm an abomination to the gospel record deal to the college outing me to abusive relationships. I mean, the through line for me in all the things that I've experienced, the gay bashing, everything has been self-love. That's why that is a message so much in my music, because I think that it is so important to talk about this in a way that's not goofy, but like it's really meaningful. And I think at the bottom of every addiction is self-worth. So sexuality is such a strong spine in your psyche and in your personality. How is your sexuality different from the sexuality that existed when you were in an abusive relationship to the sexuality you are having under crystal meth to now the sexuality you're having after many years of sobriety? It's knowing who you're not that tells you who you are. And so it's okay. It's okay to have those experiences and know what works for you, what is for you and, and, and find that. But like I tell, I, I remind myself about it all, all the time that like, my journey has been perfect because it's knowing who you're not that tells you who you are. And I have a hell of a lot of information now. I'm pretty damn clear about who I am. Now you can find a thousand explanations to demote my position with a God. Oh, but I've discovered a divine resolution. Oh, Lord, I'm embraced by the light of So was there a tipping point? Was there a moment when you went from being somebody who was using crystal meth and using sex in the wrong way to somebody who was no longer wanting to do that? Well, it wasn't without what a lot of addicts called hitting their bottom. And to this day, I still can't really talk about what mine is, what mine was. But um, it was pretty devastating. I think it's harder sometimes when, when addicts don't have a clear bottom, when they're not forced into it. Um, mine was a very easy decision. It's like stop or... I don't want to be too sensationalistic, but stop or die. Um, but for those who are hovering around that slight manageability of their addiction and not quite, they know it's a problem, but they, there's always a way to sort of negotiate because things aren't fully falling apart. Those are the people that I have most compassion for actually, because, um, it's not so cut and dry for them. I know what an addict's mindset is like, and it's very easy for us to, to, um, to negotiate, you know, that like, well, you know, it wasn't so bad. It's just kind of working out. I'm keeping my job. People kind of don't know. Trust me. They know more than you think they know, <laughs> you know, but, but that's, that's the hard part, I think. Right. Like I, there's, I know so many people who would, who are clearly into a problem, but, uh, they're, they're in that they're, they're, in they're at that place in the journey where it's easy for them to think that they don't and you're watching things sort of slowly fall by the wayside but you've been through all these experiences and you you went through 
crystal meth usage uh, and your rock bottom and came through recovery. But all the way through this time, you're successfully building a career. You're recording albums. You've got a voice. Now, that surprises me to hear that, that your voice survived usage, that your voice survived your body being ravaged, but you've, you've managed to be a kind of functioning addict. So your career is gradually building throughout all of this. I feel much more limitless now that I'm available to myself. Matter of fact, I'm available to my good. I think I even said this in my Tony Award winning speech, in my, in my speech when I got the Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical for the musical Million Dollar Quartet was because I, at that point, was only a year sober. The entire time I'm moving the show from Chicago to New York to rehearsals to getting it up on the stage, I'm like on trembling fawn legs, trying my best to just stay sober. And one of the things I said in my speech was like, thank you, this mentor, that mentor, that mentor for making me realize that when I become available to my good, the universe responds in kind and gives you your good. You know, when we become available to live our life on life's terms, rather than checking out with a drug, uh, shit happens. And what a way for you to realize that with the Tony Award in your hands. A Tony Award! <laughs> crazy, crazy. But like, people don't know what that means to me. You know, it, 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 it was, it, 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 I can't separate it from what the, what the personal journey was. It's been over a year now since In The Key of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Levi, when I've finished these recordings, I pull the interviews into an edit, do a bit of nipping and tucking. But for the next two minutes or so, I'm going to do none of that. This is when I say to my guest, you have a platform to have your voice heard. And I guarantee you there'll be no shaping and no editing for you to talk about whatever you want. It can be something we've already spoken about. It could be something out of the blue. You could talk about Betty White for all I care. Whatever you want to talk about, this is your platform. Right. If you're, if, if I were to say, what is my platform? What is that thing that I would want to say to people who would graciously give me two minutes of their time, valuable time. We're inundated with so much these days. Uh, I'm not lost at the fact that like having an ear is a valuable thing. 
even for 30 seconds. And if I had that little window of opportunity, I would say, please know that there is nothing wrong with you. Please know that there is an infinite intelligence that is depicted so perfectly in all of nature. You can see that nature consistently requalifies itself to a state of wholeness at all times. There's something within nature we can see. It all just simply knows how to move into uh, creation, expression, expansion, wholeness, ease, grace. That same intelligence is within you. And the more that we lead into this infinite intelligence, the truth is this divine intelligence breathed Dan Hall intentionally, breathed Levi Christ intentionally, breathed you, the listener, with intention, then you know that all that has been your experience is perfectly unfolding you to move you into a place of power. So oftentimes we want to demonize our experiences and call them bad and call them mistakes. Even when we've made mistakes, transgressions against ourself, like my experience with addiction. But the truth is every pain brings you to power. Every mess is your voice to the world. And we need your voice. This global conversation is not complete if you stand there afraid of your voice being heard. So know that not only has the unfolding of your experience been perfectly breathed, not only please know that you are perfectly equipped with everything you need to unfold into your purpose, but that we need your voice. We need your voice because whatever makes you unique, whatever makes you different, whatever makes you, you, is valuable to this world, is needed in this world. So give it. I came to net the feeling, but now I think of all that we have made it through. We're set at motion. Now, by beautiful coincidence, you've worked with Q-Boy, who was, of course, our guest in episode one of this second season. So why did you decide to work with him? When I finally came to what was, I believe, my fourth album, it's 2012, I was inspired by the music that inspired our community, especially during our greatest moments of activism. And I wanted to take that energy of disco and R&B and the things that we heard in the clubs back in the day when we were running the streets with ACT UP and we were letting our voice be heard. And I wanted to 
infuse that into a neo disco that was upbeat and fun. And it wasn't just to uplift people, but it was also to uplift specifically our people and talk about our issues. And so uh, I started writing this song called Love Revolution. And, and, and uh, it, 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 it started to talk about, you know, we've had to fight together. We've had to riot just to be heard, but, but we got them talking. I know it's far from over, but we've got the will to build a better world. Um, and we're stopping at nothing. And I, I, and, and I needed someone to bring in the specific story actually of, of what HIV did for our, for our community, um, the impact of it, the devastation of it and the meaning of it. Um, and so I went to Q boy because I loved his music and I, and I knew that he would, if I was going to have a rapper, a part of this song, it, it, I just, my heart said I I only ever wanted one person and that was cute. Just people collectively join labels Don't exist, boxes, don't fit, tag, don't tear There's no guest list Our family tree is strong but broken In the 80s our heroes were taken HIV became AIDs, tree lost its leaves R.I.P. LGBT history So full of feet and so plain to see Our pride in numbers was wide like hummers In all the colours, we made them summers We are the mothers, we are the brothers We are the lovers, we are each other Our contributions by persecution Is a love, love revolution we talked earlier about a emotional and domestic abuse situation that you are in. For those who find themselves in that situation who are listening to this, what would your advice be to find an exit strategy? I mean, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is tell someone. Um, but then the second thing that comes to mind is believe your friends because there's somebody who probably sees it. And if you're like me, I had one girlfriend who saw through it all and she would tell me what's going on. And I was in such denial that I didn't believe her. I didn't listen to her. And she could have been my saving grace in some of the most volatile situations. Um, <clears throat> there, there probably is someone out there who knows and, 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 but if not, there is probably someone out there who you can tell, but, but I think that isolation is death in that situation. And we will of course put links, support links in the show notes as well. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Levi, what would your 15 year old self think of you and the man that you've become? <laughs> I think with that laugh, that's our answer. <laughs> He'd be like, thank God you still have a great head of hair. Yeah. <laughs> thank God you didn't get ugly. <laughs> My 15-year-old self would probably say, say to me, to say to me, um, <clears throat> thank you for giving me the love that I never thought was possible. Do you think he'd recognize you or would you be a stranger? My 15-year-old self would initially judge me and probably, um, you know, hold me up against his very righteous, overly righteous criteria, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, when I would have a chance to speak to that 15-year-old boy, he would realize that he was loved more than he ever anticipated.
are you listening to at the moment in the queer music scene? Per, per making contact with you, I have gone back and, and been listening to some of Ari Gold's music only because we were in it together. We were doing the pride circuits at the same time, having the same experiences. And with his recent death, I miss him, you know, and uh, he made a major impact. So I've been listening to him. Um, I think I'm also, <laughs> I mean, while she, while she is definitely loved by our community, but not necessarily representing our community, but there is when I'm needing confidence, when I'm needing to, to kind of remind myself of who I'm choosing to be in this world there for some reason these days, the, the audiobook and going back and listening to the records of Mariah Carey is helping me a lot right now. <laughs> I was not expecting you to say that. <laughs> because she, the girl knows who she is, you know? I mean, she is so clear about who she is. And, you know, I'm in a I'm in a world where I'm just a fan of great music and great acting choices. And I get excited about people who are around me. And I'm sort of like a kid. But I always am reminded, especially in like that, that New York scene, that like people are competitive, people are jealous, people are think that your kindness is calculating. They think that your generosity is calculating. They think that your humility is insecurity in your craft. They think, you know, it, it's just a cynical world. And and so I think sometimes it helps me to lean into like somebody who can be very unapologetic about who they are and also like Cut the haters away. Where can we find you online, Levi? Uh, at Levi Christ on Instagram, levichrist.com. Uh, there's a special membership site that I finally launched, which has been wonderful. I've been moving a lot of people from Patreon to my own membership site. Not that kind of and membership site, listeners. No, you stop it. Get your mind out of the gutter, people. I'm sorry. They're cheap. They're cheap listeners. That's what happens when you put free content up. You get cheap <laughs> audience. You know, go to Imagine Paradise. If you want to hear music about your community, about our community, um, start there. And of course, if you're an American listener, you might get to see Levi live on stage in Hadestown, which uh, at the drop date of this episode is currently touring the US. We will, of course, put links in the show notes for tickets. And feel free to come to the stage door and say, hey, because I would really love to meet any of the listeners. That would be fun. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> you know, before I let you go and ask the very final question, I used to be a storyliner on a soap opera and the studio that we were made in, there was a much bigger show. And whenever we came out of, of the studio, there'd always be autograph hunters and they would just, you know, we get really excited if there was someone from the cast of this other show there. And I remember once it was a tough job fight, you know, people take the piss out of cheap soap operas, but five days two, you know, making two and a half hours of drama a week is exhausting. And I remember once emerging in a cold December day, uh, night, sorry. And people always build studios far away from train stations. So I had like a 20 minute walk through an industrial estate back to my train station. And I'd had a shit week and my executive producer had shouted at me and I was unhappy and feeling fat. And I just remember emerging <laughs> out of the studio and these autograph hunters who at the best of times are not particularly socially aware, but within 
two feet of me. So clearly within my earshot, one turned to the other one in the inky blackness of a 10 p.m. late December night said, who is that? Should we get his autograph? And the other one said, almost to my face, no, he's pointless. He's no one. <laughs> oh my God. What? And I just thought, that's fucking universe. <laughs> That is amazing. That is what a story. It's horrible. Oh my God. That's crazy. Now then, Levi, <laughs> we've been listening to your wonderful music all the way through this episode, but we're saving the best till last. So I like to ask my guests to present a gateway song, which will act as the perfect introduction to their catalog, past, mm. present, and future. What would be the gateway drug? What is the... What is the fucking pipe and lighter into into your music? <laughs> oh god! I would immediately send everyone to a song called "Deeper Love," which is on Imagine Paradise. Uh, this song embodies the gospel influences and the R&B influences of my music that come and go through my entire catalog of fifteen years. It's sort of a staple, but at the same time. It is a message that that the very two minutes that I spoke to you about is in this like mid-tempo groovy R&B like message of just fucking love yourself, feel yourself, do you. Beautiful. The world didn't give it to you and the world can't take it away. Like an instant replay, it was day after day. Now the same old, same old, on and on, on and on, on. So accommodating, never hesitating to be the one you could depend upon, depend upon. But I was looking for myself, esteem, and everything and everyone but me. And now that I know there's something better, I won't deny myself this pleasure. Oh no, I, I got it all over me. I got a deep love, a deep love, the kind of love that starts inside of me. Smiling, but the rain is shining. But I got this work can take away, can take away. I hold my head high. I'm the boss of my life. Ain't no matter what nobody say, nobody say. Cause there ain't no virtue in humility. If I surrender my identity But now that I know I'm an expression Of this one divine profession Oh, 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 oh I'm doing it naturally I got a deep love, a deep love The kind of love that starts inside of me I know what it's all about A deep love, a deep love The only love that gave everything that I need in a living land, I was in a feeling ground I said a deep love, a deep love The kind of love that starts inside of me mm, I know what I thought about Deep love, a deep love The only love that 
this feels so good to me Said that I'm living life, feeling proud I, Oh my God, this feels so good to me Levi Christ, thank you so much for coming on to In the Key of Q and sharing with us your story and, of course, your music. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can support In the Key of Q via Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Theme music is by Paul Lee Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com with press and PR by Paul Smith. Help others discover new queer musicians by rating and reviewing in the key of Q wherever you find podcasts. Thanks to Kaj and Murray for their continued support and to you for subscribing. The show is made at Puck Media. I'm Dan Hall. Go listen to some music and I'll see you next Tuesday. our next episode's guest is Billy Mick. I was part of the poster child for an argument as to why it's wrong to be a homosexual. That's Billy Mick next time on In the Key of Q. Right back, tell you.